Welcome, everybody. I think it's that time. Welcome. Welcome to the 211 Region 2 Convention. My name is Chris, and I'm your compulsive, I am a compulsive overeater, and I'm your compulsive overeater for this session, for this, for this meeting. Please help, hi, please help us preserve our cherished tradition of anonymity by re reframing from talk, uh, taking pictures in this or any other meeting room. Will everyone who cares to please join me in the serenity prayer? Prayer, God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Amen. Okay, the title, the title of this panel is Welcome Home. The format for this session is a reading from our literature, three speakers, and questions from the Ask It basket. As the speakers are sharing, we will pass around the basket with a pencil and paper for you to write any questions you may have. Please specify if you are directing your question to a specific speaker. Please be sure to keep the basket moving, even if you have already passed it. As speakers continue to share, members may think of questions that they do not have when the basket first passed by. May I have a volunteer to read a section, selection of page five, paragraph five, of the 12 Steps and 12 Traditions of the Overeater Anonymous Second Edition book. Do I have a volunteer? Thank you. Well, it's right here if you like to. <laughs> yeah, this must be it right here. So if you want to read that, thank you. Okay. I'm Jessica, compulsive overeater and restrictor. Hi. Hi. If you decide you're one of us, we welcome you with open arms. You are not alone anymore. Overeaters Anonymous extends to all of you the gift of acceptance. No matter who you are, where you come from, or where you are going, you are welcome here. Regardless of what you have done or failed to do, what you have felt or haven't felt, who you have loved or hated, you may be sure of our unconditional acceptance. Thank you, Jessica. Thank you. Okay, our first speaker is Joe, and Joe's from San Francisco, and he will speak for 12 minutes. Let's welcome Joe. Thank you. I'm Joe, I'm a compulsive overeater. I, I didn't realize I was going first. Um, so anyhow, um, I only brought one picture. So I'm a compulsive over and under eater. Um, I suffer from the disease from probably when I was in the fourth grade. I've been back in OA and abstinent for about 13 years now. My high weight, my high weight's around, highest recorded is about 300 pounds, and I've also been about 25 pounds less than this at this height. Um, so, the I love one of my favorite readings is Welcome Home because I can relate to all of it. And um, there was a woman. Um, I originally started program in Philadelphia, and I came in and out of program from 
from college and I'd come for six months and I'd be in a relationship and it would break up and I'd come to OA to try to lose weight because I thought, you know, I had to, you know, be at a certain size in order to have a boyfriend and um, I'd come for a while, I wouldn't work the steps, I wouldn't get a sponsor and I just thought it was crazy but I wasn't ready. And it took me a good eight to ten years to take step one and like anyone who hasn't got got it right away or anyone who's new, you know, welcome. That's who that's my story. It's not everyone's story. But it took me a while. I had a hard head. I was intelligent. I thought, you know, I came from a family that was type A, workaholic. You know, I should be able to figure it out. And the whole thing about figuring out was finally just being beat down enough um, to surrender and just ask someone for help. And it was one of the hardest things I ever did. And it started with just doing the Brown Book, um, the step questions with my first sponsor. I had my first real sponsor. I had a couple sponsors that I wouldn't call. I had one sponsor who I knew I could walk all over and wouldn't call me on anything. Um, my first real sponsor, I saw him when I kept coming back to meetings um, over the years. He had lost a good amount of weight, and all I could see in the beginning was just I wanted to be thin. And he was sane, and you know I was I was also attracted to him, and which is not <laughs> being rigorously honest, but um, you know that passed after a while when we started working the steps together, and I just told him about that. And it started with the first thing was just being honest about what my weight was, because I was never honest with myself about it. I could relate. Um, in the story just about, you know, I would lie about my weight, I was embarrassed, I would go to stores, I was embarrassed, I thought people were talking about me, I thought people were talking about me when I was eating at restaurants, yeah, everything was about me, and that's, everything was in my mind, I was obsessed about myself all the time, and after, from that little step of just asking him to help me, and starting to work the steps, and doing it as imperfectly as I did it, um, things started to change. And I started working on a relationship with my higher power because I had a lot, and I, that was the toughest part. I didn't want to do step four, and you know I had rejected everything that I had from childhood about a higher power. And then people explained to me, food was my higher power men were my higher power, my job, money, all of that were different higher powers. And at different points in my life, like I, you know, if I was in a relationship, I would just turn my will over to that person, you know. Or if, you know, I wasn't in a relationship, I would sleep with whoever would have me um, because I thought that if I did that, I'd feel better about myself. And, you know, slowly I defined, as they said in the steps, you know, a higher power that worked for me. I didn't believe it, and I just, you know, started to to trust it or act like I did trust it, and my food started getting easier, and day by day, um, and some days I had to white-knuckle it. Some days um, it took a good six months or so for the cravings and the compulsion to ovary to lift after I started working step two, and it's different for everybody. Um, so... And just keep, you know, I kept coming back and trying my best. And then after I did 
you know, after my sponsor said, just worry about step one. Then worry about, you know, when you've done that, you'll do step two. I didn't have to worry about my ninth step when I was in my second step. And all the different things that I used as an excuse to overeat, you know, as I, you know, worked the steps with him, you know, things started to get better little by little. Job things started getting better. Family things started getting better. Um, I stopped dating for a while because I had issues with staying abstinent and dating. And then eventually I learned from people how to date and how to break up with people also. Um, and I remember I was in D.C. I was my first real relationship in recovery, and it was about five years. And, you know, we broke up. We were good friends. And still... And I just remember for probably a couple of months, every Monday morning, closing my office door and just crying. And before that, before program, it would be, I would have just gained 60 or 70 pounds. So the people in the rooms taught me how to break up and how to be abstinent, how to leave the relationship, how to get my own place, how to, you know, I watched other people, how they did it. I eventually moved to San Francisco. And there were people before me who moved cross-country and did it abstinently. And I asked their advice, and they're, and they're like, go to extra meetings, put program first, you know, establish that. And when I went back and forth, I just started, you know, going to a lot of meetings there. And, um, and I was able to move there and feel crazy for a while that where should I live? Should it be San Francisco? Should it be D.C.? Should it be San And I drove my sponsor crazy. First my friends crazy, and then my sponsor's like, you can't talk to them about that. Talk to me about that. Talk to your higher power. And eventually I felt like I had roots again, and, um, and it lifted. And my sponsor now has me do one or two uh, ten steps a day, listing things down, all of my fears, we connect a few times a week. Sometimes we go through patches where we don't, but I try my best. I give my 10 steps to other people also. And from that, like, I've been able to, like, I had, if you look at my resume, it's about five pages long, and I've been able to stay at this job one day at a time for about four and a half years now, which is a record for me. And I'm going to be leaving it probably somewhere between September and October we're working that out now um, and taking off probably for a couple months or more just to travel which I've never done in my life and it's been a whole fear trusting my higher power and working on just trust in the spiritual aspect of this program because I don't know what's next and that fucks with my my head because my disease wants me to control it and know what's next and that's sort of part of my disease too because if I can't figure out what's next I don't do anything and right now the next right step was letting them know and trusting that it'll be taken care of later and I'm doing step by step the things I need to do um, it's still you know I've, I wake up in the morning and I'm a little bit fearful but I write a 10 step call my sponsor don't get her talk to someone else and my food stays the same my clothes it's crazy I've been in the same size for 12 years now which is insane because I would be up and down up and down I wouldn't know I remember when I was living in Philadelphia and I was working at a CPA firm at that point and I had to wear suits every day and I didn't know like I'd sit on the couch 
and pull my pants up, like slowly my suits, and not sure if they would rip or not, or then, you know, three months later I'd be starving myself and I'd have to get them taken in or get new ones, and then like a couple of weeks later, you know, I'd be wondering whether or not I'm just going to bust out of it. So it's it's still amazing to me that, you know, I can wear the, the same size because of this program. Um, and I've definitely seen um, recovery in all the levels from working the steps. So appreciate all of you for being here. Thank you for asking me to share. Appreciate it. Thanks. Thank you, Joe. And we have Barbara from San Diego. She's going to share with us. Hi, I'm Barbara from Possible Reader. I'd just like to ask one question. How many newcomers do we have here this evening? Can I have a show of hands? Okay, welcome. Welcome home. That's a good topic. Okay. Okay. Um, how, oh, what other question? How many people in this room, when they went to their first OA meeting, how many really, really wanted to go to their first OA meeting? And how many just dreaded it, fought it with every ounce in? Okay. All right. I feel at home. I feel at home. That was me. Uh, I was tricked by an 18-year-old <laughs> that had lost 100 pounds and still had 100 more to go, but... Um, I was had my own weight group that I belonged to. We bought a scale and we weighed every Tuesday, and then we would go out and eat. And my pattern was I'd um, I got into the water pills, and if I was good and really dieted well that day, um, I would only take one water pill. I mean that week, one water pill before the meeting. But if not. It was getting that it was two days before and three days before and four days before, and then there was no loss. Somewhere along the line, something kicked in, and I stopped at that. But um, that was that was it. Um, lose weight, gain weight, lose weight, gain weight, lose weight, gain weight. Got tripped. And it was February 28, 1977, and um, she took me to an OA meeting. And that totally changed my life forever forever. Um, I felt at home. I was at home. There was this wonderful lady that led the newcomers meeting, and she um, talked about when she would go shopping and she'd have her purse and she'd get it stuck in the turnstile and how she'd blame the purse. I thought I was the only person in the world that ever blamed my purse. But even now, it, it's so old hat, I even now I pick it up and I carry it and when I go through one. But, um, and she talked about a bathtub, and I don't know how many people take baths now, but back 35 years ago, 34 years ago, I did. I took baths then. But what I did is I created a dam, and so the cold water was behind me. And, okay, you got that one? Okay, all right. Us gray hairs get that one. Yes, we do. <laughs> yeah, uh, and, and so what you had to do is get up and swish it. So, uh, or swish it this way so you get the warm water in the bath. I never thought anybody else in the world ever did that. I mean, I hated myself for that. Okay, all right. Okay, that's where I came from. I didn't want to go to that meeting. And she talked about those things, and I was home. I was at 
home. I knew I belonged there. I didn't know what they were talking about. I didn't understand their language. I didn't know any of that, but I knew I was home. And when I left that meeting, um, I hadn't had dinner that night, and so I went out with the group afterwards, and I had an afternoon dinner. And from that day, February 28, 1977, to today, the obsession to eat between meals and eat by binge foods has is gone. It has been gone. And what happened to me in that meeting, when I listened to everybody talk and share the stupid things they did, the awful things they did, I, God, I, I experienced them. It, it, isn't, it just didn't go into my head and out. It came into my whole body because I did all of those and I recoiled when it was something that I was terribly ashamed of. But what I knew before I left that meeting was a couple of things that they talked about. One, that this is a disease. It's not a moral issue. That it's physical, emotional, and spiritual. Well, spiritual, I didn't need that. I let go of God a long time ago. Emotional, I was fine. My life is fine. I just need to lose 70 pounds, that's all. And, um, uh, okay, I'm going to play the age token here. My mind just went, okay. Okay, we have a disease, emotional, physical, and spiritual. And uh, the physical part of it for me is that when I put certain foods in my body, it develops the phenomenon of a craving. And for me today, the mental aspect is, oh, well, crap. You know, I lost all this weight. You know, I can stop. I can take one bite and stop. Well, I can't. So when you have the physical allergy of the body, you've got that mental obsession that you can stop. This time it'll work. This time it'll be different. And then you've got this spiritual problem on the side, too. And, you know, you've got the disease. And it's not a moral issue. We aren't bad people. We have a disease. So I got that. And I got that I was powerless over food before I walked out of that meeting. No ifs, ands, or buts. No, maybe someday I'll be able to eat like a normal person. Not just, I knew that. And that's all I did because they talked about God, and I, sh- that, was, that was not for me. I didn't want anything to do with that. And they talked about other things, and I didn't know what it was they were talking about. But just as they think, not wanting to be there, kicking and screaming the whole entire way to be there, to knowing only knowing that I was powerless over food and the obsession was removed. That's not me. I didn't do it. This abstinence is not mine. It's by the grace of God only. Um, that God has developed through the time, through the years, and it was slow. Um, but um, not yet? Okay. Okay. Uh, sometimes I can get on a roll and sometimes I just stop. But... Uh, um, just like right now. Oh, crap. I'll be back in a minute, just a second here. Okay, well, where do I want to go? Okay. What else is, I mean, when you think about home, what are some of the thoughts you have about home? Um, For me, it was, some people can think of, well, well, that's food stuff. But, you know, the food stuff, warm and cozy, comfy. And other people, it's not safe. And there's a lot of places in this world that when you're 190 pounds or 
when you're 90 pounds. It's just not safe. But when you walk into an Overeaters Anonymous room, you're safe because you're home, because the people in this room know who you are. You know who they are. We suffer from the same disease. Nobody in this room is going to tell you, oh, you have such a sweet face, darling. Why don't you just... Use a smaller plate. <laughs> Push yourself away from the table. And, you know, they mean it because they can do it. They can push themselves away from the plate. They can say no thank you. They can eat one of something and not have any more. But when we come into this room, we find a group of people that can't stop, whether it's not eating or eating, overeating. They can't stop, and so we have, we're connected. I heard somebody say a little bit ago in another meeting that we're a tribe. Oh, that was good, too, but we are. We're connected with each other. What my recovery, um, well, I had to develop a concept of a higher power. First it was OA, and then I saw people in OA that I loved that left, and uh, so that I knew that I needed to, come up with a higher power. To, and um, back then, all we had was a OA liter, AA literature. And in the 12 and 12, there's one, they're talking about the second step and that they're, that they're to talk about this hoop that you have to jump through that's a lot wider than you think. In the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous and We Agnostics, they talk about Get rid of the childhood God. If that's what's stopping you, get rid of the childhood God and build your own concept of a higher power. And it took a while. It took me a long while, but, but I did. And that higher power, my God today, is a large set of arms that holds me. It's always there for me. I can run and jump into them. I can tell them to go away. I, you know, it's just always there for me. And that is a power greater than myself that as the years went on in program, food was all that I gave to God. I could still do my life. I was a bit stubborn in many different ways. But today, I've known that, I know today that self-reliance has failed me in so many areas of my life. And today I'm willing to try God reliance. Every minute of every day, no. I start out every morning with reading 80, in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous, reading 84 to 89, doing the 10th, and um, saying uh, the prayer from St. Francis of Assisi, the third step prayer, the seventh step prayer. And then I go off, and some days, and I meditate also, and then I'll go off with my day. And, and most times, it's when I do that, when I have that foundation built, the day's wonderful, but sometimes it's not. And it's just like in, uh, who is it, Dr. Seuss's, of the places you will go, sometimes it's not okay. And I can be just one of those raging little bitches again that I've been, uh, um, I can try and control you and your mother and my kids and, and everybody. Um, however, it doesn't last as long as it used to last because sanity somehow comes across back to me that um, 
that reliance upon my higher power is more important than my controlling the world. And so I think I'm going to stop with that, but welcome home. This is home. This is a safe place, and this is a place that sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly, but recovery will come. So please keep coming back. Thank you, Barbara. And um, uh, we'd like to welcome Lori from Long Beach. Hi, my name is Lori, and I'm a compulsive overeater. Hi, and um, I also brought some pictures, so thank you for bringing photographs. Um, and I. Um, let me just start by saying I've been a compulsive overeater my entire life. Um, I'm originally from New Orleans, Louisiana, so I think that says a lot about eating and drinking and any other compulsion you could possibly think of, and I was right there with them. I grew up in a family. Uh, we have a blues singer down in New Orleans where we celebrate everything from cockroaches to marriage to divorce and when the pregnancy test comes back negative. <laughs> you know, we like to party and I was right there with them. So I'm going to pass around my photographs and I have this little card that it always um, I carry with me and it's this little sheep in a meadow and it says on the cover, relax, and then you open it up and it says, God is taking care of everything. And as long as I can remember that, I know that I'm okay. And then you'll also notice next to it that I have put the acronym GUS, G-U-S, which is my friend and I's uh, personal name for our higher power, uh, which stands for Great Universal Spirit. And when I first came into program and the name GUS went, made me want to run out of the rooms, I could put the name Gus into all of the prayers, and it made it much more acceptable to me. And so it just reminds me of that universal warm spirit. So my photographs are there to also remind myself what it was like. Um, I came in weighing over 284 pounds. I'm maintaining a 75-pound weight loss for the last three years. Thank you very much which totally blows my mind. Um, I, I, I hit 200 pounds in the, I say in the sixth grade. Um, I, my fighting weight most of my life was somewhere between 230 and 250. Um, so as many of you might be able to imagine, going through junior high and high school at that weight was not fun. Um, uh, I mean, and, and yet I'm a nice enough gal. I'm outgoing and stuff, so I can't say that I was miserable, miserable, but I did not have a happy, happy childhood. So anyway, what brought me into Overeaters Anonymous? Uh, originally, um, I got introduced to OA when I was living in New York, and a therapist recommended it to me at that time, and I came for about a year, year and a half. Um, decided you guys were definitely crazy and didn't have anything I wanted and went back out and um, moved out here to California in 2001. And then um, first 9-11 hit. I'd lived in New York for 10 years, and that didn't sit too well with me. And then um, Hurricane Katrina hit New Orleans, and that really didn't sit too well with me. 
Um, I was mad at God. I was mad at the federal government, the state government, the local government, my family. I was mad at you. I didn't even know you, and I was mad at you. And all I could do was eat. And so I just ate and ate and ate. And I was the kind of eater that ate from the moment I woke up in the morning till the moment I went to bed. And I um, would go to a different 7-Eleven each night so they wouldn't know me from the night before because I would buy my binge foods every night because you couldn't stockpile. You had to have, you know, whatever. And um, now I think back about it of how seldom I go to 7-Eleven and how the 7-Eleven guys used to wave to me when I walked through the door. Like, you know, they knew I was coming. So anyway, um, my last binge was in March or I will just around March of 2006. And I always have to tell this story um, because I promised my friend I always would. It was a Friday night and I had ordered in, I think, Chinese food that night, and I had gotten um, my other binge foods, and it's enough Chinese to eat, feed a family of four, and this particular night, there were these candies, and I hope I don't set anybody off, but they were, I call them nun corrals without the little sparklies on top, and it was a bag from Trader Joe's, which is this large bag, and I'm sitting on the sofa, and I'm eating them, and I wind up passing out eating this bag of chocolates. And as I'm laying on the sofa, the whole bag of chocolates kind of falls off to my chest and goes down my blouse and everything. And I don't know how long I'm asleep, but I wake up and I look down and I see all these chocolates and I start picking them off my clothes and eating them. I'm digging them out from my bra and eating them. And I finally had disgusted myself with food. Um, and I just was like, I need to do something. And the only thing I knew that could possibly work for me was going back to Overeaters Anonymous. And so that weekend I looked on the, online and I found a Wednesday night meeting. I went to that Wednesday night meeting. There were four ladies in the meeting and there was a young person there who was half my age who came up to me at the end of the meeting and she gave me a meeting list and she circled the names of the meetings that she went to and she said, these are good meetings. These are the ones I recommend. One of the meetings that she recommended was a Friday night meeting. I went to that meeting Friday night. It's a large meeting in Long Beach. It still exists. It's called Friday Night Live. And so I walked into that room and people were happy People were talking, people were laughing, they all seemed to know each other. This was Friday night and they had a place to go. My Friday nights were home on the sofa eating Chinese food and passing out with chocolates. I wanted what they had. So I was, and I, gosh, and I thought, oh God, look how big this is and everybody knows everybody and I'm not going to know anybody. And um, I sat down in my chair and that woman came, that 20-something-year-old little girl, came up and sat down next to me. And that meant more to me than anything else because she welcomed me home. She let me know that I was welcomed and that she remembered me from three nights before. And she encouraged me to take my newcomer's chip, and I refused. And now I know everybody knows you're the newcomer when you're in the room, <laughs> you know? But I was being anonymous. So, you know, I, uh, 
I uh, stuck to that meeting. It was in March of that year or May, and when they asked for service commitments, I knew I had never stuck to anything, so I took my very first service commitment. I did not realize it was for six months, <laughs> and I just totally freaked out. You know, I'd never done anything, but I will tell you, it kept me coming back, and I was the cleanup person. And I felt like no matter what, I could clean up. You know, I didn't have, I didn't know what abstinence was. I, back in the day, 20 years earlier, I'd heard, you know, no white sugar, no flour, no this, no that. And um, so I took that commitment, and I started going to other meetings, and I started to look for people who had what I wanted. And I got my sponsor, who was very loving and kind, because I needed somebody to be loving and kind to me, because I could beat myself up plenty good. I didn't need anybody to tell me how to beat myself up. I needed somebody to tell me how I was lovable. And I was lovable at 275 pounds, and I am lovable at 205 pounds. And that is an amazing gift of this program. Um, <laughs> now that I've actually said my weight out loud, I will tell you guys when I got the email that they've asked me to speak, and of course I'm like sitting on this panel going, please let me be first, please let me be first. And so I get this thing and it says you have to have um, five years of abstinence. Well, my recovery date is June 6th of 2006, because it's 666, something I can remember. And um, I get the email, and it's like May 15th or something, and I don't have the five years. Oh, I can't do it. I can't do it. But then I realize by what is today, July, whatever, I will have the five years. So, okay, that excuse didn't work. So then my second excuse was, well, I'll just go binge. Then I don't have to show up, you know. So that was my second thought. Then my third thought was, well, I have to lose 20 pounds before the, the convention, so I'll look like I have something to offer because I'm not good enough, you know. And then I decided that that probably wasn't going to happen, and damn it, guys, it didn't, you know. <laughs> I'm just like, oh, well. And then I just had to say, it's God's will, and you're supposed to be there. And then I was like, oh, it's going to be 5 o'clock on Friday. Nobody's going to be there. That's the best time ever. And then I get here tonight, and it's like there's nothing else going on. I know you guys aren't here to see me. It's because you have nothing else to do. So, you know, I'm really okay with all of it. And I'm, oh, I have two whole minutes. Let's see. What more do I have to tell you? Um, I used to think my life was over. I now think my life is just beginning. I used to think that my, you know, I hated my job. I hated my house. Well, I liked my house. I have a good house. People have seen my house. It's a good house. You know, but I was like, I'm done. I've got a career. It's all over. I'm just going to lay here until I die. God, I was 45 years old. I mean, where did that come from? You know, and now I'm just like, I think I'm going to get married. And maybe soon. Don't know him yet, but it's going to happen, guys. <laughs> I have dreams. I have accomplishments. And, you know, those are things that just never happened. And it's the men and women of this program who have shown me that. One of my good friends just 
turned 73 years of age, and her and her husband went on a 25-mile bike ride on her 73rd birthday and are celebrating 54 years of marriage. And she says that she got her recovery and her marriage because of being in these programs, and she came in at 45 years of age. Her life is not over. Her life is very full, and that's what I want, and that's what I know I can have as long as I keep coming back to these rooms. So thank you for letting me share. Thank you. Thank you, Lori. Okay, um, now it's going to be time for question and answer. Is the basket going around? Thank you. Okay, everyone on the panel, what does powerlessness look like in your life today, even through, even though you are abstinent? Thank you. I'd like to take that. Because I'm such a control freak, um, powerlessness is peace and serenity. When I can finally get to that place, and I mean, and basically what I've really had to discover is how powerless I am over everything, including me. You know, I can't control what crazy thoughts come into my head. I can sometimes control, I don't even like to use that word, how I act upon them, (laughs) you know. Um, But I have just really had to learn um, how I am emotionally, physically, and spiritually powerless, and that it's all up to my higher power. So thank you for letting me share. Okay. How do you work step 11? doesn't say a name. So anybody on the panel? Step 11? Hi, I'm Barbara, compulsive overeater. And I do 11 along with 10, and I'll start at nighttime or mostly in the morning because I fall, I, I fall asleep in the chair before I go to bed. And so by the time I get upstairs, I'm still asleep anyway. Too much information. Um, I do a 10 step. I look at um, what I've done the day before. And then in the 11th step, it starts out looking, was I selfish? Was I, um, is there, oh, God, I wish I could remember everything in there. But, you know, all those things, selfish, self-centered, dishonest, um, fearful, afraid, do I owe an apology to anybody? And I look at yesterday through through the eyes of step 11. I um, then for today I I go to God with what's on the agenda for today, and it's always too much. And I just say, God, show me how I'm going to get through today. And um, then I have some prayers that I say, and then some meditation and. It's not a really long amount of time. It's usually about five minutes. I've got some neat music that I listen to. And I, and sometimes I'm just totally, my mind is just an easel, and anything can go across it. 
and um, then other times it will not shut up. Um, and so during the day, I'll just go in and, okay, God, is there anything you want me to do or look at? Um, prayer can happen anytime, and it doesn't have to be a set prayer that you say. It can just be, uh, I heard somebody say it today, God help me. And um, so, anyway, I hope that answers your question. Okay, Laura, I grew up in the Gulf Coast, too. Thanks so much for sharing your experience. Can you go home and enjoy food absently? How do you do it? Thanks. Good question. Yes. (laughs) Um, So, New Orleans is a challenge. Um, of course, when I first came into recovery, I thought my entire compulsive drug family would follow behind me like ducks in a row, you know, and want what I had, and they sure don't. Um, uh, you know, it's like, but uh, they are supportive. Uh, but it is, you know, I have a very, um, I, have a, I have a food plan and an abstinence that I can take anywhere I've traveled across Uh, Europe with my food plan and my abstinence. Um, I personally don't like fried food as much as I used to, and so it, you know, uh, so, yeah, it's one of those things that I had to be able to do. um, I had to be able to know what felt comfortable for me and what doesn't feel comfortable for me. Um, and my family does support that they don't try to force food on me anymore, and they now know that. And also, the biggest thing I can I can say that I do for myself is I no longer stay in my family's homes. I stay in a hotel, and I have my own time there, and I go to meetings while I'm there, and I call my sponsor every day while I'm there. I do my readings and my writings. So my recovery doesn't take a holiday. I take my recovery wherever I go. So that's it. Any uh, panel members, what uh, what change in your personality have you have you noticed because of the program? I think, like a lot of people in the rooms, I was miserable um, when before I got abstinent. And in terms of being like having people work for me, I would I had like 43 people reporting to me when I first got abstinent, and I could be a raging bitch, bastard, whatever you want to call it. Um, I would you would either be my favorite. I would send passive-aggressive emails, and for the most part, that has all stopped. There's some days, if I'm not in a good spiritual space, that some of that will come up where I'll have to talk to someone and be like, I want to send this. And they'll be like, nope, it's not a good idea, don't send it. And sometimes I still want to and want to. Um, and I'm much. my moods are a lot more in the middle. Um, I don't tend to go, you know, to extremes. 
Um, I'm able to have better relationships with my family and also my partner and talk about things like sex and intimacy and stuff like that where I just wanted to just, you know, leave the relationship cheat or whatever it is. Um, so I think for the most part, I'm a lot more patient, a lot more, a lot nicer, a lot better boss. Um, I don't have people quitting on me like they used to, and um, and I'm not as irritable, at least when I'm, you know, praying and meditating and stuff like that. So thanks. Okay, with 30 years, I think this might be the last one. Uh, with 30 years left, and how does the disease manifest itself today? Okay, it's a threefold disease. It's physical, it's emotional, and it's spiritual. Um, the My definition of abstinence is three meals a day, nothing in between, no refined sugars, and no binge foods. My binge food list is fluid, and um, it, what I mean by that is... Um, when I first started, I didn't have any refined starches either. And then it just came that that, that was removed also. I didn't have a problem with the, with the car, whatever it is, the breads, the pastas, the um, rice, that kind of stuff. And so um, very slowly over a long period of time talking with my sponsor, she says, okay, we'll try bringing some of that back in very slowly. And so I did. So. So what, what used to be a long time ago isn't today. It's, it's a current binge list. Um, refined sugar is still on it. It's always been on it. One recent one was, um, oh, God, I'm not going to get into food. I'm sorry. Okay. How does it manifest itself in my life? It's when I try and take control over again. Um, I'm a controller, manipulator. Um, I... Uh, want things done my way. If you do it my way, it'll be just perfect. That's what I used to be like. But can I be that again? Yes, I can. And how can I get there? I can get there very easily. I can get there by not doing my 10th and 11th step, by not praying, by not... um, Physical is not the word. By actually saying to God, please, you take care of it today. And, and let me just follow in what you want me to do. If I don't do that, I can go back to that emotional part of the disease. I'm, I don't know why I've, I've been protected from uh, breaking abstinence. That, I think, I gave 100% my very first night at the meeting. And by the grace of God only, I haven't had to take that back. But, oh, my God, I do take control back. And I do, and I do push God aside. You're not moving fast enough. You're not doing it the way I want to do. And I'll try and take over again. Yeah. Okay. And so, so that's still there. So this is a, a physical, emotional problem, disease with a spiritual, what is it? Recovery. Yeah. Solution. And I just don't always stay in it. And we're human beings and we're built that way. And that's not an excuse. And I'm not making excuses for myself. I just screw up. 
and I screw up by trying to take charge again, by trying to spell God, B-A-R-B-A-R-A. So. <laughs> oh, we have time for one more question. Okay, anyone on the panel? I get hung up on the word disease. It's hard for me to think of myself as someone with a disease. How do you accept this term? Um, I think for myself, just thinking that no matter what, if I don't do something every day about it, I'm going to die from this. And I've been at the point where I couldn't walk up steps. I couldn't walk up the flight of steps. I'd wake up with heart palpitations. Um, on the other side, I'd be passing out, almost passing out or feeling faint, um, never feeling good, always um, you know, being self-obsessed, self-hating, all of that stuff. And maybe it's just, you know, throwing it out, not worrying about it, and just, you know, trying, like, at some point I had to stop because I was so miserable, just trying and asking for help and seeing what other people were doing that were happier and were abstinent and had what I want, wanted, and just trying it and see how that worked. Try it for a day, try it for a meal, um, and just see if your life gets a little bit better. And that's sort of what I did and stopped trying to, like, control everything, wanting to rewrite the steps, wanting to rewrite how it works, all of that stuff. Because all that was doing, I was getting either heavier and heavier, more miserable, more miserable, and moving towards suicidal. Um, so what it wanted, whether you call it a disease or not, it wanted to kill me. And like you know like diabetes i need to do something each day and it's not that much to help counteract it so thanks okay thank you very much uh time to close our meeting and i'd like to again thank all of our panelists today at this hour of meeting joe barbara and Lori. thank you so much um and it is now time to close the session. Now please join me in a moment of silence, followed by the third step prayer. Prayer. I offer myself to build with me and to do with me as I will. Release me of my message of self that I may better do thy will. Take away my difficulties and victory over them may bear witness for those I help of thy power, thy love, and thy way of life. May I do thy will always. Amen. Thank you very much, everyone, and welcome home. Thank you.